Thanks, Penelope. Uh, well worth leaving that passage open. I think if you've got a church Bible in front of you, uh, it's page 927. If you uh, just shut that, that's, that's where to go as we uh, look at John 14 together. And this is our final week in um, this series that we've been in through uh, the month of February, thinking about who we are as a church, um, doing that very deliberately as we lead up to next weekend and that uh, weekend together, thinking about our vision for the year ahead, uh, first starting with who we are, uh, reminding each other who we are. And over these weeks, uh, we've seen that uh, we are those who have been welcomed into God's family, not, not by our merit, but by God's mercy. And who we are as God's family is those who, uh, well, first thing we saw was we, we're those who heed his voice because it's the voice of our king. And you may remember uh, we saw in James chapter 1 when we looked at that, we were told, if you do this, you'll be blessed. Uh, then a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw from John 13, and we moved across to where we are in the, the Bible now, John 13, um, we, we saw that we are those who are to adopt God's mindset. And, and what an incredible mindset it is. Here is the king who bends the knee in service. And we are to be those who serve one another and serve our world. And again, Jesus' words to us in John 13, if you do this, you'll be blessed. Uh, then last week, again, uh, further on in John 13, this remarkable picture of God's heart as Jesus uh, pursues the heart of the heart of a betrayer, Judas. And even up to the end, his heart is for the heart that's turned away from him. And we are to have that same heart as his people. And today, as we finish this series, we're going to set our sights on home. Uh, John 14, uh, hopefully you've got that open in front of you. We're going to see that as God's family, we are those who long for God's home. That's right at the heart of our identity. Now, I don't know whether you think much about home and your home, uh, whether you've got particular plans or you've had recent plans to make some sort of home renovations, uh, perhaps a room to paint uh, or a room to rearrange. In, in our house, that seems to be the regular occurrence. Rooms get rearranged. Uh, and I think that has a purpose, and we, we do that together. Um, uh, perhaps you've got a room to extend or something's happening. I've been lobbying the wardens, actually, when it comes to home improvements, for a swimming pool uh, that spans my backyard and Josh's backyard. We'll call it a baptism swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> but you'll be pleased to know that's fallen on deaf ears uh, with the wardens, that suggestion. Uh, we think about homes and uh, our homes particularly a lot, and I suspect Wurunga. Uh, is right up there at the top of people who think about homes a lot. Uh, you can tell that from the constant advertising that turns up in our letterbox. I reckon it's daily now that I receive some sort of piece of cardboard from a real estate agent advertising a house that's for sale in my area or perhaps a house they wish was for sale in, in my area. And then if uh, you go in towards the village there, if you drive over the rail bridge that they've recently renovated, um, the new advertising either side of it shows you what we think about as a suburb. It's either real estate agent advertisements or building advertisements. It's all to do with our homes. And, and then if you finally get into the shops themselves, the two dominant sort of shops that we have in Morunga show our obsessions. Coffee and real estate agents uh, is the other one. Uh, we think about homes a lot, and hopefully with a coffee in hand, we think about homes a lot. Uh, but what, what is obvious, I think, for all of us is that our obsession with home and our longing for home and a longing for the comforts of home doesn't always translate into rest at home. In fact, it's very easy to be restless in our homes. And I think the truth is that there are very good reasons to be restless in our homes, that 
it's hard for a home to shelter us from. Uh, in recent months, as uh, the economy is uh, uh, starting to sort of dip and as inflation is racing up and as interest rates are racing up, uh, you see the financial pressures associated with home that don't bring rest, they bring the opposite of that. And I've heard a phrase that I haven't heard since the, um, the global financial crisis, the, the phrase negative equity, reaching a point where you owe more than the home is worth and the pressure that that, that mounts on a household. And if it's not financial pressures, one of the other things that causes this restlessness is the recent experience of uh, COVID. And early on in COVID, there was a sort of the, the, the joy of work-at-home COVID experience. And that was a whole freedom that we'd not had as, as workers before. But I suspect for most of us as workers, the honeymoon of that is well and truly over. We, we end up taking the stresses of work right there into our homes. Uh, and if it's not the stress of work, it can be relational stress or loss or brokenness that we find within our homes, uh, it's very easy to end up at home but feeling restless at home. Uh, it reminds me of, a, I saw a, a social media post a few years ago from a young guy, I'm going to call him a young guy, he's 33 years old and I can say that now. Um, this is what he said, I'm 33 years old, I own my own home, I have a great life and every day I dream about running away from home. Uh, there it is, I think, captured in a nutshell. He's got it all lined up. Mortgage is paid off, age 33. It's amazing. Uh, life lined up, and yet every day there's this restlessness for something else. Um, it is possible to be at home and yet feel homeless. Uh, the Australian philosopher Glenn Albrecht coined a phrase a few years ago uh, called solastalgia. And I just like saying that word. It's a cool word. Um, but solastalgia is a brilliant con uh, word to capture an experience that we have. There's homesickness and melancholy that we can feel when we're away from home. We all know that feeling, but solastalgia is the feeling that we find hard to define. It's the feeling of being at home, but home isn't the way we want it to be. It feels different. It's changed, and we can't capture why, but it doesn't feel right. Being troubled of heart and longing for home to be different, longing for it to be that place of rest and familiarity is what actually we long for in life. And I suspect the big problem for us is that we know that the troubles that come at our heart, uh, we don't know how to calm them and we know home can't shelter us from them. And so our homes can't provide this rest that we long for. They, they, they end up not being this place that we, we'd hoped they would be for us. And so as we consider who we are as a church and we look at John 14 together, I want to suggest to you that one of the deeply good things about being God's people, being his family, is that here at last, as God's family, here at last as a church, is a place that lives up to the billing, is a place that indeed is home. Uh, listen with me, and hopefully you've got it open there in front of you, as King Jesus speaks to us about these things in John 14. And as he speaks, uh, really what he is doing is he is speaking into a room filled with troubled hearts. And uh, we've seen in recent weeks why they're troubled. There's all sorts of chaos going on in this room. There's departures all over the place. Judas has just left. Jesus is speaking about leaving. The enemies are surrounding Jesus at this point. And in the midst of that, Jesus speaks these remarkable words. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says them actually just hours before his own brutal death. He says them, we're told in the chapter before, his own heart filled with trouble. He says it actually, no, he commands them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it's not a command that Jesus gives uh, in denial of the realities of this room, in denial of the troubles. 
it's shouted straight at the troubles. And then he shows us how with another command. Again, do you see it there, verse 1? Trust in God, trust also in me. And I want to highlight for you from this passage five reasons that Jesus gives us that we can trust him and five reasons why this longing for home that we have is not in vain. Now, here's the first of them. You see it there in verse 2 of our passage. Uh, Church, you can long for home because Jesus went home. Uh, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Why trust him? We'll look verse 2. Trust me, I'm going. Now, isn't that the most unexpected source of comfort? Here is a group of people utterly troubled about all these departures going on around them. And, 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 and these are Jesus' words, trust me, I'm about to leave you. I mean, how is that comforting? Especially when you see this, if you've got the Bible open there in front of you, if you jump back to John 13, verse 33, you'll see Jesus say this, where I'm going, you can't come. It seems to be getting worse, not more comforting. And it's even more so when you see where he is going. We're told again and again in these passages, John 13 and 14, he's going to the Father. He's going to God the Father. He's going to his heavenly Father. He's going to the place that the Bible tells us that we were actually created to live. He's going to the place where God dwells, where there's no parting from God's love, where there's no more mourning or crying or pain, where where there's none of those things. He's going to that place. He's going where we can be face to face with the God who made and loves us. Jesus says, I'm going and you can't come. It reminds me of uh, when our children were younger, we used to read them. uh, One of the children's Bibles we had was the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know whether you've ever come across that. It's fantastic. And it captures, I think, this problem perfectly as it describes that moment in Genesis as uh, the man and the woman, woman, Adam and Eve, have to leave Eden, have to leave home. Uh, these are the words that, uh, that are captured there. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world and it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would be troubled now and never work properly again. You'll have to leave the garden now, God said to his children. His eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your home. This is not the place for you anymore. Now, Jesus says to troubled hearts, I'm going there and you can't come. But I want to suggest to you that as he says that, it is actually news that can calm even the most troubled heart because of the second reason he gives us. It's actually built into this statement of his going. You can long for home. Here it is, the second reason. You can long for home because of the path he took home. Uh, when Jesus says he's going, he's not just, it's not just a vague reference to leaving that room. It's, it's, it's a reference to the chain of events that's about to start in the hours that follow. Where it's captured brilliantly in the reading we had a, a couple of weeks ago in Philippians 2. It shows us the path he took home. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's where he's going. You see, in his going, the journey is just as important as the destination. Jesus' going refers to this chain of events that will begin with his arrest as he leaves this room and his trial and his torture and eventually his death. That's what he means when he says, I'm going. It's the path he chose to walk home for us. And the reason he chose to walk that path home for us is that he knew that the only path between you and I, uh, you and I and God, is a path marked by our death and our rightful judgment. That's the only path between us and God. 
the judgment that's rightful and certain because of our rejection of God. That's the path home for us. His going is good news because he walks that path instead of me and instead of you. It's actually why he came, to go to death for us so that, well, as we saw in John 13, we could be clean, that we could be welcome again by God. And that brings us to the third reason Jesus gives you to trust him and to long for this home. You can long for home because of the welcome he received at home. Uh, this chain of events, when he speaks of his going, it's his death, yes, but more than that, it's also his resurrection. That's part of his going. As God raised his son from death, he was declaring to the world, yes, I accept my son's life for yours. I accept the path that he has walked instead of you because he's my son and because I love him and because his sacrifice is perfect. You see, Jesus' going includes his arrival. This, this is how the book of Romans chapter 4 puts it. It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins. There's our forgiveness, but here's the second bit. And he was raised to life for our justification. It is his resurrection. Is God saying the door to home is open again. I mean, how good is that news? His going is good news because of this path he took, because of the welcome he received. But even more than that, here's the fourth reason to trust him. Because now he can come back for us. You can long for home because there is a place for you there. Uh, departures are really hard, aren't they? I mean, it's no wonder that these disciples in the upper room are troubled of heart with all that's going on for them. But Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me, I'm going. And because he goes, he can say these words, there is a place for you. Now, I love the Apostle John. He's my favourite um, Bible author i'm not sure if you're allowed to have a favorite but he's my favorite uh an amazing writer a fisherman poet what more could you want uh in a writer and i reckon i could probably point to something in every chapter of john's gospel that has thrilled me over the years but right at the heart of it right at the pinnacle are two verses here in john 14 and i get to say these words very often as an anglican minister uh thomas cramner who put the prayer book together seems to have whacked these verses in virtually every spot he could find just so that they would be said again and again and i've got to tell you no matter how many times i have to say them they thrill me have a look at them with me uh, verse two in my father's house are many rooms if it weren't so i would have told you i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus says, there is a place for you. Do you know the reason we obsess about home so much? Why it bubbles up in our heart all the time? Why, why bridges are plastered with stuff about homes? It's because of what is promised here is what God wants us to long for. We're wired up for home. We, we need a place. And the great curse of Adam and Eve was to be homeless. We need a home and I think we know it when we see it. It's, it's the place, isn't it, where, where you belong, uh, where you're totally accepted, where, where you can be yourself, where the sights and sounds and colours and smells of that place, uh, they make complete sense because it's home. Home is that experience of an open door into a room where you're expected. That's what home is. And Jesus is saying, because I went to the cross, because I conquered death, my father's house, which has many rooms, there's a place for you there. And do you know why? Because it's your home now. Uh, you don't come there as a guest or a visitor. Uh, 
You know that experience of perhaps staying with friends when, when, you, when you're travelling or something? That's a great experience of someone to let you into their home. But it's not home, is it? And you've got to be on your best behaviour and hope you don't break anything while, while you're there. Well, this isn't that experience. This is your family home. And no matter how great or even terrible your homes have been in this life or even your fathers have been, this is the one you have longed for. There is a place for you. And when troubles come, and they will for us, we are commanded to rest on this promise, to lean back on it. It can take the weight. There's a place for you. You know, often we're encouraged when, when we think about heaven, we're told to think about heaven a bit like you would plan a, a great holiday that you've got coming up and you, you plan all the details, you buy the Lonely Planet Guide, you do all these things and, and you think about it all the time. But that's not the half of it. This isn't about going on holiday. This is about the experience of coming home at last. And what makes it so good is all the things that we've spoken of, but there's something even better, something right at the heart of it. It's, it's this, he's there. He's there. That's what all the going was for as far as Jesus is concerned, not just to prepare a better place for us. He didn't go just to plump the cushions so we're comfortable when we arrive. No, the end goal was very specific and so good. Verse 3, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus says to troubled hearts, you'll be with me. And I reckon, again, whether your home life uh, is a real joy or a real struggle, you need to know this. You are going to be with him and you cannot imagine how good it will be. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. There is a place for you with me. One final reason to trust him. Verse 4, you can long for home because you know the way home. Uh, That's what he says there in verse 4 to the disciples. You know the way. Uh, verse 5, if you look, Thomas hears that and he says, yeah, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I, I love Thomas. He says, can we have the map, perhaps? That would be helpful. A bit like you've got a map today for next week. Uh, we'd like to know the twists and turns. How do we get there? What's the plan? Well, I love Jesus' response. Verse 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love what Jesus is saying here. In the same way that the heart of heaven's joy is Jesus himself, the heart of life itself, even this side of heaven, is Jesus. He is the way. There is no other. You know the way to the place I'm going, says Jesus. It's quite unexpected what he's doing here because usually he has to say to the disciples, you think you've got this all worked out, but you don't. But now he's saying the opposite. You think this is tricky and complex and hard to understand, but it's really not. I'm the way. In my death and in my resurrection are all you need to know. And see clearly what Jesus means here in verse 6 when he says that he's the way. He's not so much saying his going tells you the way or he's like a trailblazer or an example to know how to live life. He's that. Of course he's that. But he's much more than that. He doesn't just show us the way. He is the way. Reality is for us as a church at the foot of the cross is the way home. It's not a journey life so much as landing there at the cross and setting our anchor there. Here at last at the cross, I, I hear the truth about myself as hard as that is to hear. And I hear the truth about God as wonderful as that is to hear. I, I, I find what life is about, it's about, well, the full extent of his love for me. I am loved as a child with a place in his house. What could trouble my heart? Let me say, if you're restless as a Christian or troubled, and that will come to all of us, This may be what you've forgotten. 
It is, as Jesus says to Philip in verse 9, don't you know me even after I've been with you for such a long time? The human folly in life is to think life is about endlessly moving on and progress. Jesus says to you, that's where the trouble comes. Endless movement, just stand still. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Today, we've looked at this passage together for one simple reason, and that is to have as a church our hearts filled again with this hope and this longing for home, because I'm convinced that the Bible tells us that this longing for home is actually what's going to drive us in our mission as a church. Uh, The book of Colossians that we're going to look at uh, next term tells us in chapter 1, if you want to grow in faith or grow in love, the only way that's going to happen is through the fountain of this hope. And... uh, The book of Hebrews 6 tells us if you want an anchor for life, for whatever life is going to throw at you or throw at us as a church, it is this hope of home. So let me ask you this as we finish. Is your heart set for home? I remember a few years ago uh, listening to um, an ABC radio uh, show. They have mid-morning that I often hear when I'm driving around places called Conversations where they interview uh, someone over different topics and this particular week it was a lady called Lorna Ash I think she's an author and uh, she'd been researching uh, Cornish fishing boats as you do and um, as part of her research she'd gone out on one of their trips and they go out for weeks sometimes months at a time on these fishing trips and she observed while she was out there just how hard these sort of hardened fishermen found being away from home and, and how they handled it uh, let me quote her There is a sense of keeping the land at arm's distance while you're at sea because otherwise the thoughts of home might overwhelm you. But finally on the last day there's this sort of jubilation that takes over on board because you don't have to hold the land back anymore because you can see home. And so the singing started on board and the laughing and in those last hours you get to allow the anticipation of home to take over your heart. And it's a great picture, isn't it? You imagine these gnarled old Cornish fishermen, uh, just the joy of home in in sight for them. Well, as I was listening to that conversation, here's what struck me. Christian, you don't have to hold the land back. You don't have to play that game. The land to come is what's meant to be in our sights all the time. Uh, There is is an argument that sometimes says that uh, filling your heart with heaven is just escapism. That you can actually be, uh, here's the old quote, that you can be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That is utter rubbish. You can be too pious, you can be too religious, you can be too lots of things, but it is impossible to be too heavenly minded. It's actually the very engine room of life to the full for us. Uh, Do you know what was once said of the old preacher Henry Venn in his biography, uh, they thought he had only minutes, hours maybe to to live and uh, this was the quote uh, in his biography. The prospect of his heavenly home made him so jubilant and high-spirited that his doctor said the joy of it kept him alive for a further two weeks. If we live the average human experience, there will be many things that will come at us and will trouble our hearts. From the mundane of day-to-day life to the frustrating to the sort of things that if you knew they were coming your way now, they would floor you. But John 14, Jesus says to us, in the midst of all of that trouble, don't let your hearts be troubled. In fact, he commands it. And then he follows it up with another. Trust me, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he says to you, remember, there's a place for you with me when it's time. I remember in Finn's first year of school in the UK, 
Uh, 3.15 was home time and uh, most days of the week Liz would pick him up. Uh, but after a while we, we set up a pattern where I would get to pick him up on, on, on Fridays. And I remember the first time it was going to be my turn to do this. But at, at breakfast that morning Finn was obviously quite concerned that I would mess up the process and not know what to do. So he was sort of running through the process so I knew what to do. And I had to assure him, look, when the time comes, Finn, I'm going to be there. And I remember that afternoon him coming out uh, just on the rise where the, the school was and his face beaming and he's waving his hands madly at me and he's grabbing the teacher's arm and he's saying, that's my dad. And uh, I'm looking around and none of the other parents are carrying on like this, so I'm trying to stay calm. <laughs> and I remember thinking about it afterwards and, uh, well, here's the thing, John 14 assures you that Jesus will have no such inhibitions when it comes time to take you to be with him. It's the very reason he came. It was the joy set before him as he endured the cross. It's what it was all about. Tell me, do you long for it as he does? Well, let's pray. My Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you that. Again, not by our merit, but by your, your mercy. And in your mercy, you don't just forgive us and say we're free to go. You forgive us and say we're free to stay as your dearly loved children. And we hear this promise that there is a place for us and, well, it thrills us. And we pray that you help us not to lose sight of it, not to hold the land back. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again as the band comes up. and we're